from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please join us in the call to worship. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. We have beheld Christ's glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. To us a child is born, to us his gun is given. In him was life, and the life was the light of humanity. Friends, come and let us worship God. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from Psalm 97. You can follow along in your pew Bible on page 521 if you'd like. Psalm 97, hear God's word for you and for me this morning. The Lord is king, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his adversaries on every side. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples behold his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame those who make their boast in worthless idols, all gods, bow down before him. Zion hears and is glad, and the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O God. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. The Lord loves those who hate evil. He guards the lives of his faithful, he rescues them from the hand of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. And then continuing our second scripture is from Titus chapter three, verses four through seven. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, on this Christmas morning, break open this old, old story once again afresh in our hearing and in our time so that we would be formed to be more like this perfect gift, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I have known my stepfather for 23 years. His name is Denny. But we're just entering into a season in our relationship where I'm learning more about him than I've ever learned before. It's possible that it's because I'm growing up and I'm being more intentional in the ways I'm asking questions and wanting to know more about his life and his story. And during the holiday season, you have opportunities to sit with people as you're enjoying meals together. And and one of the great gifts in this time is telling stories or learning stories from family members, stories you've never heard before. When Denny was doing his naval training at Bainbridge in Maryland, just situated on the northeast bank of the Susquehanna River, there was a moment in his training where he had to do a captain's inspection. The year was 1964, he was 22 years old. He was online as his captain came to inspect all the sailors. They would line up in their dress whites. They needed to make sure that all the protocols were followed. They, need to, they needed to be in compliance with the cleanliness and the dress code standards. Now, uh, Denny's captain was a masterfully meticulous and a stickler for detail. Even the slightest discrepancy would incur his wrath. And so when the captain would appear for one of these inspections, the, the anxiety and the fear was palpable among the sailors. His appearance meant judgment. If he showed up, he was going to find something wrong with you. He was going to find something that he could critique he would then judge you and discipline you accordingly. The captain, however, had no idea that he would meet his match that day in my stepfather. See, Denny is the most meticulous man I know. His attention to detail and his quest for perfection are unrivaled. He's the kind of guy that will spend three weeks online researching before he buys a pair of socks, right? You know the kind of person I'm talking about, right? Whose car is always clean. When we would go on family trips, we'd have itineraries detailing minute by minute for our vacations. And so as the captain came to inspect my stepfather, he, he began naturally with his shoes. He looked down, and, and Denny's shoes were spotless. They were shining. In fact, the captain could see his own reflection in them. He looked at his uniform, looking for a flaw, but he could not find one. His dress whites were perfectly ironed and everything was in place. The captain grabbed the, the, the white hat off of his head, turned it inside out, trying to find some discoloration caused by sweat, but sure enough, it was perfectly pure white. 
Now, my stepfather knew this captain's reputation and his techniques. He had heard from, from some of his colleagues, some of his fellow sailors, that when the captain would become frustrated and not finding a flaw with a particular sailor, he would turn his attention toward the belt buckle. Now, of course, uh, any smart sailor would be polishing the brass of the outside of that belt buckle. But this captain had a little trick. He would look at the outside, and sure enough, it would be polished, but then he would flip it over because no sailor took the time to polish the inside of the belt buckle. And the way that these belts were made, uh, some of the, of the material would begin to fray on the inside, and so this captain would often catch the sailor who, who thought they were perfect. He would catch them by turning that belt buckle inside out and finding that it would be unpolished and finding that the material would be frayed. But as I said, the captain never saw anyone like my stepdad. He grabbed the belt buckle and forcibly flipped it over, and sure enough, it was polished perfectly. He even took scissors the night before to cut away the material that was frayed. The captain was defeated, and he moved on to the next sailor. I said, Denny, did you smile when he walked away? He said, no way. I wasn't going to give him any reason to discipline me. When Denny told me that story, I was thinking about our images of what God is like. All of us have images of what God is like. All of us have stories that we tell. All of us have metaphors and analogies and trying to use our incomplete and inaccurate language to talk about who God is. For some of us, we have been taught or maybe we have lived into an image where God is like that captain. That when God appears... God is looking for something wrong with us. God is looking in every nook and cranny of our lives to find something that is critique-worthy, something that God can judge us for, something that God can discipline us for, something that God can condemn us for, something that God can punish us for. Unfortunately, throughout the ages, preachers and churches and Christians have talked about God in these terms, have talked about a God who, when God appears, creates anxiety and fear, creates a moment of judgment, of critique. And yet the New Testament is so clearly the opposite in its presentation of who God is. Certainly God is a God of justice and a God of judgment, but it is always in the service of God's love. The writer Titus is, is clear that the God who shows up is a God who is bringing something different than that captain was bringing to those sailors. When God appeared, it was not to condemn us, when God appeared, it was not to tell us how perfect we are because not one of us is righteous. When this God appeared, it was not to give us what we want but what we need. And what this God 
when this God rather appeared. This God brought grace. This God brought the truth that we are not alone. This God brought meaning and purpose in our lives. This God brought justice and reconciliation and salvation. This God brought God. Sent God. Sent God's very self into the world. Titus put it like this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done. Not because our belt buckles are polished or because our shoes are polished or because our hat is pure white. Not because of any of that, but according to his mercy. That is good news. According to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, this goodness and loving kindness takes on flesh and dwells among us. His name is Jesus. And when this Jesus appears, the world changes. Grace abounds. Redemption and reconciliation is now possible. Friends, he is God's gift to you and to me and to our world. One of my favorite stories to tell, and I have told it once from this pulpit a few years ago, Especially, I like to tell it when there is a baptism close to Christmas time, let alone a baptism on Christmas Day. It's a story that comes from my friend and, and pastor of the, of the Brick Presbyterian Church in New York City, Michael Linval. The story actually comes not from that church, but from a church he served many years ago. A middle-aged woman was lingering after worship one Sunday in late November. Michael, the pastor, had just baptized the granddaughter of an elder in the congregation. The woman who was lingering, waiting to be last in line to greet Michael, introduced herself to him, said, my name is Mildred Corey. And she said, that was a beautiful baptism, Pastor. She said that her daughter, Tina, had just uh, had a baby and wanted to schedule a baptism for the infant boy. And so Michael just suggested that, that Tina and her husband call him to set up a time to get together and to talk about what baptism means. Mildred hesitated and said to him in a soft voice, Tina's got no husband. Tina's just 18, and she was confirmed in this church four years ago. She used to come out for the senior high fellowship, but then she started hanging around this older boy who was out of high school, and then she got pregnant and decided to keep the baby. She wants to have it baptized here in her own church, but she's nervous to come to talk to you, Reverend. She named the baby James, but we're calling him Jimmy. He's named after his father who has just enlisted. He's, he's stationed at Fort Bragg, and he, and he won't be home for a while. And so Michael did what a good pastor would do. He brought the request to his session because all baptisms have to be approved by the session. But as he presented it, a discomfort began to grow as the session contemplated what this baptism would look like. You see, in this particular church, they had a tradition where the pastor would ask, who stands with this child? And then siblings or grandparents and aunts and uncles and other family members would stand wherever they were seated in the congregation as a sign that they were supporting the Christian nurture of this little one. Michael said in his own words, the real problem was the picture of the baptism that we all had in our heads. Tina, pimples on her chin, little Jimmy in her arms, Big James gone to North Carolina, and Mildred Corey, the only one 
who would stand when the question was asked. The session approved the baptism. They set it for the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the sanctuary was full, as it often is on that Sunday before Christmas. The elder who was to assist uh, Michael in the baptism stood beside him at, at the font, and he, and he read the words that he had scribbled out on a three-by-five index card. Tina Corey presents her son for baptism. The elder kept his eyes on the card and, and did not look at Tina as she started to rise and to come forward toward the font. Down the aisle she came, nervously, briskly, smiling only at Michael, the pastor, shaking slightly with month-old Jimmy in her arms. The scene hurt every bit as much as Michael and the session expected it to. Michael said one could not help but to remember another baby born long ago to a young mother in difficult circumstances. So Michael read the opening part of the service, and then he asked the question, who stands with this child? Michael nodded at Mildred to coax her to her feet. She rose slowly. Besides the, the preacher and Tina holding baby Jimmy, she was the only one standing in the congregation. So Michael's eyes went back to his service book, and he was just about to ask Tina the questions of commitment, the questions that I asked Kate and Chris earlier this morning, when all of a sudden he noticed some, some movement in the congregation. An elder and his wife all of a sudden stood up. Then two more elders rose to their feet. Then the sixth grade Sunday school teacher who taught Tina stood. Then a new young couple in the church sprung up soon before Michael's incredulous eyes. The whole congregation was standing. Tina started to cry, and her mother reached out and grabbed onto one of the pews. Michael said it looked like she was on the bow of a ship being tossed at sea. Tina and her mother scanned the congregation and couldn't believe what they were seeing, that God had appeared again 2,000 years later, this time appearing with a message of loving kindness as the body of Christ on earth, the church. Titus wrote, the, the spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Because of this Christ child, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection and his ascension, we are heirs of God's loving kindness. You know, the word we translate in the Greek uh, to these two words of loving kindness is the, is the root word for philanthropy, philanthropia. The Greek word is a, is a combination of two words. It contains one of the words for, for love, phila, and the other word for humanity. You see, the object of God's loving kindness is not abstract. It is not random. But the object of God's loving kindness is humanity. It's you and it's me. And as a philanthropist would contribute uh, to the needs of certain people, God's whole mission is about moving toward the needs of each and every one of us, knowing that not one of us is perfect, but knowing that God's grace 
and God's love is sufficient. And God, in choosing to give us what we need, chooses to give God's very self. God gives God. That is the mystery of our faith. That is the truth of our belief that God gives us God in the gift of this Christ child born in Bethlehem. So we are heirs of God. And so because we are heirs of God, we are called to steward God's philanthropy, God's mission in the world, the way that church did for Tina and Jimmy and Mildred, by allowing God to appear in us so that our role in this world with our family members and with our friends, with our coworkers, with our classmates, is not to play the role of the captain, always looking for something that is wrong, always looking to critique and to judge and to punish and to put down. But instead, we steward God's philanthropy, God's mission for the world by becoming Christ's body on earth so that we allow Christ to appear once more in us, in our ordinary and common lives. Ours is a God of grace, and so we must be a people of grace. Ours is a God of loving kindness, and so we must be a people of loving kindness. Ours is a God of peace, justice, and reconciliation, and so we must be a people of peace, justice, and reconciliation. God has a mission, and it culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of this Christ child, this baby boy. He has appeared, and by God's grace and mercy has brought us exactly what we need. May we be his body on earth so that he may appear in and through us again and again and again. May it be so for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ's world. Amen. Friends, if you're able, I'll invite you to stand. And would you join with me in the words of the Apostles' Creed as our affirmation of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And let us pray. Lord, on this Christmas morning, we give you thanks for the very best gift you have given us, a gift that we have so desperately needed. Your word tells us that you entered into this world as Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, not to condemn the world, but so that the world may be saved through him. We claim that salvation for ourselves and for this world even now, knowing that we have become bearers of this good news, stewards of your philanthropy, O oh God, 
stewards of your mission in and for the world. May your loving kindness be made known in and through us in every way, not just on Christmas Day, but in every day ahead. Lord, we give you thanks for a community of faith that though we may be alone on Christmas, we've wandered in, though we may be grieving the loss of a, of a husband or a, or a wife, the loss of a child, the loss of a relationship, though we may be grieving a difficult health report, may we be, maybe we're grieving discord in our home lives, We'd ask, O oh Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would renew us once more, that you would bring us comfort, that we wait patiently for you, Lord, to lift us up, incline our ear to, incline your ear to us, O oh Lord. Lift us up out of the pit, out of the mire and the clay. O oh Lord, set our feet upon a rock. Make our footsteps firm. Give us a new song to sing, song of joy and praise to our God. We ask this, O oh Lord, by the power of your peace and the power of your presence, be born in us again in our time and in our place so this good news for all people may be known, not just for our own salvation, but for the salvation of the world. We pray this in the name of the one who is our salvation, who is truth and justice, who is mercy and forgiveness and love, who is grace, even Jesus the Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to just take a moment before I offer our benediction, just to say how grateful I am uh, to be a part of this community, and especially in this hour as we're sort of wrapping up our Advent and Christmas season, which has been exceptionally wonderful and beautiful and busy. Just how grateful I am for our team and our staff, uh, from the sound folks who have put in, I think Tim may have even slept here last night, um, to our video crew, to Jens, our organist, who's played, I think, like 45 worship services this, this season. Heather, thank you for being here. Uh, so many volunteers, uh, these gifts that come to us that are wrapped up in flesh uh, in a church like this are the best gifts, aren't they? They're just wonderful gifts. And so I'm just so thankful that we have such a wonderful congregation, a wonderful staff, wonderful volunteers to help usher in this season and to, to be here on this day to celebrate the gift of God in the Christ child. If you're comfortable, I'm going to ask you to hold the hand of someone near to you as a sign and symbol that, you need, that we need each other. Hey, reach across the aisle if you have to. Reach behind you, in front of you. And quietly in your heart, just say a prayer for the person whose hand you hold now 
to your right or to your left to your left you may know them you may not but offer a prayer up for them now in silence Now, friends, may the peace of the Christ child, a peace which surpasses all understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in him. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life. Amen. Amen.